Grace Townsend Gareth makes her home in California, and she is with Jungle Aviation and Radio Service, acronym JARS for that. Grace is the Partnership Ministries Area Representative for 10 Western states, helping others catch the vision for Bible translation and the critical role JARS and aviation plays in the accelerating the process and keeping the translators safe. Grace is the daughter of Wycliffe Bible Translators founder, William Cameron Townsend. Nard Puggio was a JARS pilot. He still is a pilot, not with JARS, but he is a missionary and translator. Nard's lifelong dream was fulfilled after nine years of hard work when in 1982, he and Rudy Barlan, a Filipino linguist, finished translations and delivered 500 copies of the Isnag New Testament and placed them into the hands of his native Philippine people. Nard's passion is to challenge believers everywhere to join the work of Bible translation. He loves to lead short-term mission trips to the Philippines to, his, to show firsthand the impact of God's word in the heart language. Please welcome back our keynote speakers, Grace Townsend-Gareth and Nard Pugio. It has truly, truly been a privilege to be with all of you these last couple of days. My husband's looking at retiring in about three years, and I've mentioned to several people, please feel free to pray that God brings us here as you have blessed us beyond measure, beyond measure. I love the song this morning of God's faithfulness. He has indeed been faithful through all the years. Have you ever wondered what missionary kids did for dates on the mission field? Well, we would go alligator hunting. We would catch baby alligators for the zoos in the United States when you could carry animals back and forth. But you always would look for a moonlight night. We would be out in the canoe looking for the yellow eyes along the shore of the lake. Well, my job was to hold the flashlight and the guy was rowing the boat. And we found those yellow eyes on the side of the lake. We rode up, and he was able to catch that alligator. Now, you catch an alligator by the back of the neck like a cat or a snake. And then he handed it to me. <laughs> now, I held on to that alligator pretty securely. And all of a sudden, that alligator went completely limp. And I thought I had choked the alligator to death. So I barely, barely start releasing my grip on that alligator. And all of a sudden, the tail of the alligator flipped, hit me in the face. The canoe is bouncing back and forth. And trust me, I didn't care if I choked that alligator to death. <laughs> I held on to it for dear life. Have you ever wondered what your world would be like if you didn't have God's word in your own heart language? Have you ever wondered what your world would be like if you didn't have God's word to turn to in time of comfort, encouragement? 
Romans 10, 13 and 14 tells us anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they ask him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him? And yes, someone tells them. In 1917, when Daddy was 21 years old, he and his best friend Robbie went to hear a woman missionary speaker, Zelma Zimmerman, share the need to sell Bibles and tracts in Guatemala. Now, at the end of the service, she went up to Daddy and Robbie and said, So, when are you going to come help us sell Bibles and tracts in Guatemala? You know, today we kind of are a little more subtle. Would you pray about it? Would you think about it? But no, she wanted to know when they were going to go. Well, Daddy and Robbie thought they had the best answer ever. After all, they were going to go serve their country in World War I in France, and they were due to be shipped off any day. Well, Daddy said Miss Zimmerman didn't like their answer. In fact, she literally shook her finger in their face and said, You cowards. You leave God's work for women to do while you go off to war. Now, that didn't set too well with Daddy and Robbie, so they decided to go talk to their commanding officer. And he said, yes, you will do more good selling Bibles and tracts in Guatemala. I release you. Now, again, this is in the middle of the war, not before or after. Can you imagine that happening in our country today? Well, Daddy and Robbie signed up under the American, excuse me, signed up under Central American Mission, and they went off to Guatemala. Now, when they arrived in Guatemala, the director took one look at Robbie. Oh, my goodness, he was so excited. Robbie was the perfect specimen of health and an outstanding athlete. He took one look at Daddy. That skinny Townsend won't last two months. I've been told that Daddy was so skinny he had to sit on a pillow. But you know, in the first three years of Robbie's service in Guatemala, he drowned in a, um, in a drowning accident. And he was an outstanding swimmer. And Daddy lived to the young age of 85. Now, his first assignment was to go to sell these Bibles and tracts in a large language group, the Cachiquels in the mountains of Guatemala. He soon realized he wasn't selling many, many Bibles and tracts. After all, they didn't speak Spanish. Needless to say, they couldn't read Spanish. One day, his helper, Francisco Stia, said, you know, if your God is so great, why doesn't he speak my language? Is he only the God of the Spanish and English-speaking people? Well, Daddy knew God spoke Kachikel, and the only way to show them was to give them the scriptures in their heart language, the language they understand best. So Daddy, without any linguistic training whatsoever, translated the scriptures into Kachikel in 10 years, this is before computers, started a seminary in honor of his friend Robbie, a school and a clinic. We've been told by a world outstanding linguist, Dr. Ken Pike, that what Daddy did in 10 years without any linguistic training would be equivalent to you or me doing brain surgery. 
Well, when Daddy finished the New Testament in Kachikel, he realized, you know, there's other languages out there that need God's word. He thought there might be 500 languages. You can kind of get your arms around 500 languages. We soon realized there were 2,000 languages. Our first movie and book was called 2,000 Tongues to Go. And today we know that there are just under 7,000 distinct languages in the world with still around 1,800 waiting to hear how much Jesus loves them. Well, Daddy knew if we were going to go reach these other languages, we needed to have trained linguists. So in 1934, Daddy and Ella Legters started Camp Wycliffe, which is known today as Summer Institute of Linguistics, or SIL International, with two students. At the end of the summer, Daddy and Legters and these two students went to Mexico. Now, when they arrived in Mexico, they found it was a closed country. They'd had way too much religion, and they weren't allowed in. So there stands Daddy and Lecters wondering, Lord, how are you going to get us into Mexico? They go back out to their car to pray, and the theme song of Wycliffe was, Faith, Mighty Faith, the Promise Sees, that looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities, and shouts, it shall be done. Well, after a while, Daddy realized, you know, I've got a letter from a prominent Mexican government official, Moises Signs, inviting me into Mexico. So he goes through his briefcase, he finds the letter and shows it to the dignitaries, and they were allowed in. Then in 1945, Daddy felt called to start work along the Amazonian River in the jungles of Peru. Now, this brought about many different challenges. Daddy's first concern was always that every language, every language, would have God's word in their own heart language. His second concern was for the safety of our missionaries, to take them in and out of their villages, to provide supplies, to take them out if they were sick. And he thought, you know, it makes a lot more sense to take a two-hour flight by plane then two-plus months going over the trails by canoe, often losing everything you had going over the rapids. But you know, in the 40s, airplanes were considered luxuries, and missionaries didn't need luxuries. So no one heard his cry. But William Cameron Townsend was soon to find God's way of bringing aviation into missions. It was February of 1947. I was six weeks old. We, Mom and Dad and I flew into Chiapas, Mexico, where we had our jungle training camp. When it was time to leave, there was no airplane available, and so they called in a commercial plane, a Piper. Now, the Nationals really called it a pig plane because it was only used to carry livestock in and out of the village. There were no seats in the airplane, so Mom and Dad were sitting on the floor of their plane with their feet under the pilot's seat, and I was in a woven Indian basket on their lap. The letters tell us that the pilot was very young, inexperienced, and in a huge hurry. 
because mom is still trying to close the door of the airplane as it's going down the so-called runway. On takeoff, the tail of the plane hits the top of the trees and makes a nosedive into the side of the ravine. We were told that if it had landed in the middle of the ravine, we would have been killed instantly. Well, they were able to get mom and dad out of the airplane. Um, it said that I was thrown from the plane, caught by national, referred to as an angel because no one could ever find him again. Mom suffered severe injuries from that airplane accident. Remember her feet were under the pilot's seat? Well, when the plane crashed, the seat broke and broke both of the arches in her feet. One foot was just hanging on by the skin, be skin of, behind the ankle. She suffered severe back problems, which she suffered for the rest of her life. But due to praise the Lord for medical help, after many, many surgeries, she was able to walk again. And she was able to serve with Daddy around the world. Well, anyway, as Mom and Dad are lying on the ground waiting for medical help, Daddy's mind was always going. And he said, someone, quick, get a camera. And it was through the pictures of that airplane accident that God used to stir three businessmen in the United States that said, yes, missionaries did need airplanes. So Daddy goes to the Wycliffe board, and he says, we need to start an aviation program for our missionaries. And the board said, no way. We are a linguistic organization. We're not going to do aviation. Well, if you knew Daddy, he was pretty persistent. And so finally the board said, okay, if you want to start an aviation program, you've got to raise $20,000. You know, that was no small amount of money then. And times haven't changed. We still look to our Heavenly Father to do the exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. So Daddy went to the States and he was able to raise that $20,000. So in 1948, JARS was formed. And as you heard, JARS stands for Jungle Aviation and Radio Service. But those of us who serve at JARS, we say it stands for just about any required service. Because we do so much more. We provide the tools that make Bible translation possible through transportation, whether it be aviation, boats, or road vehicles. We provide technology, the computers that are needed for Bible translation. We provide media. The most familiar would be the Jesus film. And we are becoming the leaders in training for aviation, for safety programs, and for IT around the world. God gave Daddy a huge vision for the ministry. But before there was ever Wycliffe Bible translators, before there was Summer Institute of Linguistics, before there was JARS, before there was Jungle Training Camp, before there was government relations, before there were computers to speed Bible translation, before all this, there was a young man who loved his Lord 
and simply wanted to serve him. Daddy often told us the story. After he finished the Cachiquel language, he started a, a translation in a, in a town in Mexico, Tetel Single, amongst the Nahuac people. And he tells the story of the transformation in the life of his translation helper, Don Martin. He said, Don Martin came to me one day and asked if he could have copies of the scriptures we've been translating. And I said, sure, but what do you need them for, Don Martin? And he said, before I became a Christian, I used to kill people. I used to beat my wife. I used to spend all my money on liquor. But now that I have Jesus in my heart, I don't carry a gun anymore to kill my enemies. I don't beat my wife. And I spend my money on food for my family. And I want to share the love of Jesus with my enemies so that they too can read about God and have the peace and joy that I have. A translator went to visit a neighboring village downriver, and the chief came to meet him. And the chief said, how long have you had God's carving in your heart language, God's word? And he said, oh, I guess all of my life. And he said, how long has your father had God's carving in his language? Well, all of his life, too. And how long has his, your father's father had God's word, this, um, God, um, God's carving in his language? Oh, all of his life. Well, if you've had God's carving all of your life, and your father has had God's carving all of his life, and your father's father has had God's carving all of his life, why has it taken you so long to bring me God's carving? It's a very good question. Why has it taken us so long? In the previous services, um, I gave out jigsaw puzzles. And if you don't have one, please feel free to stop at the table over there and pick up a jigsaw puzzle piece. I don't know about you, but I love to do jigsaw puzzles. And when I work weeks or days on a puzzle and there's a piece missing, I kind of feel like my efforts have been in vain. My time has been wasted. No matter what size, shape, or color your piece of the puzzle is, it's essential to completing the big picture. Without you, the whole would be obvious and the picture would be incomplete. Your piece of the puzzle might be prayer. I don't go anywhere without knowing I have a team of women back in California praying for me. Your piece of the puzzle could be a word of encouragement. You know, we're so blessed today with Skype and phones and you can reach anyone. Take the time to send your missionaries an email, a text, call them, Skype with them, and let them know you're praying for them, that they're not forgotten. Your piece of the puzzle might be going. 
your piece of the puzzle might be giving to provide the tools that are needed for Bible translation or for going. If Daddy were here today, he would say, Dear ones, love one another, serve one another, finish the task so that Revelation 7-9 might be fulfilled. I stood, there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Can you just imagine when we get to glory that we're going to be standing before the throne in front of the Lamb, worshiping our Lord and Savior? But what would happen if one piece was missing? Please take your piece of the puzzle home with you. Put it someplace where you see it often. I have a piece in my wallet. I'm in there way too much. I have a piece on my nightstand to remind me. I have a piece on the bathroom mirror to constantly remind me that I'm a piece of the puzzle. You are needed to complete that big picture. Thank you. And thank you, Grace. Thank you, IHOP. I'm in the house of prayer. Thank you, Jerry, Pastor Jerry. Thank you to the team. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your missions program here this weekend. Thank you to Harold and my friend Joe coming down all the way from down the south. Several years ago, I picked up this brochure done by New Tribes. Really, really touched my heart. New Tribes Mission, planting tribal churches around the world. I think there's a tribal guy here from the school up in Minnesota. Where are you at? Okay, I had to leave. I understand he had to leave. But this one caught my eye. It says, when people have the choice to choose God, that's their business. When people don't have a choice, it's our business. And I'm a ripple effect of what the unsung hero, Cameron Townsend, and all the missionaries have done. Your missionaries here, I'm really an end result of what they do. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3, what you show that you are a letter, said, Paul said to the Corinthians. You show that you are a letter from Christ, he said, the result of our ministry. But I'm showing I am a result of your ministry, written not with ink, but with, a tab with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And I stand in awe what God has used an ordinary man. What if? What if Cameron Townsend said, leave him alone? What if he listened to his friends that said to him, hey, leave him alone. They're happy the way they are. Why bother? They'll live out in the bush. They'll die anyway of malaria. Or they'll be capsized on a canoe. Leave them alone. They are happy the way they are. But you know, the Bible says God's message for all people everywhere. And the promise to Abraham, God said, go to a place where I will send you. And he believed by faith. And he went and he said to him, the promise.
promise I have for you is that you will be a blessing to all the nations on earth. And we still continue that. Wow. One man, ordinary man, to do an extraordinary job for the kingdom of heaven. And that's all of us. You think of Cameron Townsend, you think of William Carey, you think of Hudson Taylor, all the famous that you read on missions program, you think about them. They're just ordinary people. You think of Abraham, just an ordinary guy living in tent, in a tent, shepherding his sheep. You think of a jungle savage like Nard Pugia, you know, born in a hut. But God is the God of the awesome God. Wow. The God of the universe, creator of the universe. We sang this morning, I think it was this morning. I can't remember. Who was that guy that said, couldn't remember? I lost my mind, too. We sang, it says, I, shall, I will remember the day that you saved me. And listening to all the missionaries in here, Peter and Pastor from Ukraine, Pastor Andrew, thank you to, to Sarah and her sister in there singing. I wish we would just have dismissed it now. How great thou art, wow. Missionaries in America, in Dearborn, Michigan, proclaiming Jesus Christ among the Muslims. God had called all of us to do a job. Because this gospel of the kingdom, it says in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And Jesus said he would return. I wish he would just return now, but you know, it has to be preached. How? And who, where, how many? To all the nations. That's a stipulation, it has to be done. Whether you like it or not, it's going to be done, but what a privilege it is that we could be a part of that. What a privilege it is for me and for Grace and I to be a part of your missions conference, to see all what you're doing, to the end of there, to Brazil, to Ukraine, to all over there, Tanzania and every place you're building. God's church, God's people. And we are a part of that. Thank you from my heart. Thank you to Michelle, by the way. It was a, a nice jar in there of jalapenos. Where's Michelle? Thank you so very much for that. Man, I love hot stuff. The hotter, the better. And last night she made some dip in there, and it's just jalapenos. I said, wow, I can eat all that. I mean, when I do that, I am so excited about that. But I remember the day reading this gospel and Cameron Townsend went to the ends of the earth to reach out to indigenous groups around the world because little did they know there were almost 7,000 languages on earth. And back then there were almost 2,000, they thought 2,000, but little did they know there were almost 3,000, over 3,000 some indigenous languages on earth that didn't have the word of God in the heart language. And he knew the power of the word of God. He knew that it has a transforming power. It says so, the power of the word of God. And if you ever see a beautiful cake down right in the dining hall out there, there's a beautiful cake. Please don't eat that cake today. Leave it alone. A beautiful cake, you gotta go see that cake. The power of the word in the heart language. It has a heart made out of chocolate. But that's for me, though. I like the chocolate. Leave it alone. 
the power of the word in the heart language for the word of God is living and active it's just sharper than any double edged sword piercing it just as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart no creature it just is hidden from his sight but all are open led bare to him with whom we have to give account to that's the word of God so powerful isn't it that's what your theme is and to the young people, thank you for being here. Man, I almost stood when Jerry said, who are the ones that are under 25? I was going to stand up because I really don't know how old. Maybe I'm 25 too, but I know all I know is that you, the next generation, will reach your own generation for the kingdom of heaven. What we have heard, what, what, what we have heard from our fathers, we tell it to our children, our children will tell it to their children, and you're doing it here at this church. You're telling your children, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord is power. And then we tell it to the yet unborn. Their children will tell it to the yet unborn. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be done. Because that's God's purpose in this world. It's going to be done. Whether you like it or not. God is the God of heaven and earth. And I remember this book. I'm not going to bore you anymore. But I remember this book. The day I read it for the very first time. Right below the village of Debarga, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 of this Gospel of Mark in my language, all worn out. But this is the very book that I met Jesus Christ. And I remember reading it and visualizing everything in there, listening to the, mas listening to the master as he was teaching his disciples as if I was right there, as if he removed the veil out of my eyes, reading chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 of this Gospel of Mark as if I was right there listening to him. When you read the Word of God in your heart language, you allow the Spirit of God to remove the veil out of your eyes so that you could see him, you could touch him. That's what he did for me, reading this Gospel of Mark. I remember they come out of the temple and one of the disciples said to the master, Master, look how beautiful this temple is. I look at your, your gymnasium in here, I say, wow, this is a beautiful one. The disciples said, look at the rocks, look at the homes, look at how beautiful it is. And sometimes we see airplanes or motorcycles, we, we see our gadgets in there out of this world. But the master said, you know, one of these days, not one of these rocks are going to be laid up on top of each other. Everything you see is going to be dirt and rubble. And that's what's got to happen with the material things that we have in this world. Because the Bible says, store up for yourselves treasures not on this earth where moth and rust will destroy, where a thief will steal. But store it up in heaven. Because where your heart is, there's your treasure is also. Where's your treasure? Is your treasure here in this earth or is it treasure up there? That's what we want to do. That's what Townsend did. His treasure was laid up so that the word of God was given to people in the heart languages and so that he knew. I remember him. He, we used to go for walks together. Did you know that also I forgot to tell you that there's something special about Uncle Cam. We used to have coffee together. And his wife, Aunt Elaine, used to bring a raw egg. And Uncle Cam would crack that raw egg, puts it in his coffee, and he would drink the coffee. 
And I asked Grace, I said, Grace, have you ever done that? And she said, no, I can't. But you know, it was done in Guatemala in the jungles in there. And the best way to cook an egg, raw egg, is in a hot coffee in there. You, you crack it and it's right there. It's cooked. But that was the trademark of Uncle Cam besides Bible translation work. And then they went to the garden and or they were eating their supper, the last supper. You know, the picture of the last supper was they were sitting in a circle, squatting on the floor, because that's what you do when you eat in a hut, eating with the fingers, and that's what, that was my picture of the last supper. Not like the picture we hang on the wall. Some of you have a picture of that. I saw one in the back there. Some of you have a picture of the last supper. You know what Jesus says in the picture? He says, hey guys, come on this side of the table if you want your picture to be taken. Any theologians here I'll probably get in trouble. I watched them as they went to the garden. I see a mob of people coming. This is all a visual image as I was reading this Gospel of Mark. I see a mob of people and I see Judas kissing the master and I see a group of people grabbing hold of the master. And I say, what did he do? What did, what, what, what's going on? This is God's word in my heart language. What, what's going on? And I was reading it as fast as I could. Pretty soon they took him before the religious leaders. I didn't understand. What, why are they doing that? Why are they accusing him of all kinds of false accusations? He didn't do anything according to this one. He didn't do anything wrong. He did miracles. He made the blind to see. He raised up people from the dead. What, what, what did he do? And I couldn't understand. And pretty soon they beat him up. Pretty soon. The cross. Pretty soon the nails on his hands and his feet, and it was a breaking point deep in my heart. I hated God. I was so angry at him, I shouted across the river. I said, why on earth would you do that? The missionary had told us that this God is powerful, more powerful than the spirit world. They have controlled our lives from the beginning of time, but here's a God of heaven and earth couldn't even protect his only son. Why should we believe in him? And I was so angry at him, this Gospel of Mark, taking it on my hands, throwing it down to the rocks and shaking my fist some more. And I said, I'll never believe in a God like him. Why should I? And I started walking back towards the village, leaving my Gospel down to the rocks. But there was something incredible as I was leaving there with the Gospel down to the rocks. I don't know about you, but God, as if he reached into my little heart and squeezing it and said, Nair, don't you understand that's how much I love you. I gave my son for you. And I said, wow. God, you love me that much, you would do that for me. And if that's the case, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my life. I was new. That's what the Bible says. It's in the Second Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, everything becomes new. I was new right there. Then. Christmas Day, nineteen sixty-three. I remember that day when I gave my heart to Christ. Are you new this morning? Do you know this Jesus, that the savage Nardpogio that we sang about, with the power of His Word? Do you know Him? If you don't, you gotta, you're missing something. You got to know him. He wants you. He wants all of us. He died for us. 
I went back, picked up my gospel, and see, I sat back on top of the rock. I said, let me see, let me see what happened, and found out the power of the resurrection. Jesus died on the cross. They took him down, buried him in a tomb. The third day, rising again from the grave. I said, man, why didn't they put the power of the resurrection before I threw my gospel down to the rock? They should have changed uh, I would have changed my heart and say, hey, this has happened. He rose again from the grave. And I love to listen to Don Francisco singing the song, he's alive, he's alive, I've been forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide, he's alive. And he's coming back, you know that? He's coming back, that's a promise. And this gospel of the kingdom, he said, Matthew 24, 14, will be preached though before he returns. That's a mandate for all of us, a mandate for mission that an indigenous group of churches around the world will be reached. We got a job to do. His mandate, go and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. Lo. I am with you always. What a promise. Among the Muslim people, Dearborn, Michigan, to across the world, right here in Blairsville, God is using his people here. God is using you. House of prayer. Don't forget that. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. And then a brother this morning, and you shall receive power. Remember the power comes from the Holy Spirit as indwells us. And we will be witnesses in Jerusalem right here, in Judea and Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world, to the jungles of northern Philippines, to the jungles of South America, to the jungles of Europe, all over the place. And I... Alan said that I was a pilot, and uh, I still am a pilot, but it's been an exciting part, and I'm not going to make you sit down for another hour. But the New Testament in my language was completed. I came to America here, God providing the, the funds to come to America, started training in aviation, became a pilot. I was too dumb to be a Bible translator. I want, you to, I want to correct Alan that I'm not a Bible translator, but I'm a part of the Bible translation process. I couldn't even spell my name sometimes, you know. But God is using his people to make sure that the Word of God is written in every language. Right now, they're doing the Old Testament in my heart language of Isnag. And June 24, 1982, I was packing the first 500 copies of this book, the New Testament, in my language in there in the Philippines, northern part of the jungles, way up in the province of Apayao, located way up there. If you look at the map of the Philippines, not even a speck of dust right there where it says Dibagat, not even a speck of dust, but God knew. And I have Harold Carter's been there in my village on a mission trip in 2001, but he doesn't remember that. I told my relatives that whoever slacks off on the job, we get to eat them. <laughs> he didn't know that, but he worked hard, so we didn't get to eat them. But you know, I was asking the Lord the question, and I close with this one, what if, 
What if Cameron Townsend listened to his friends? That said, leave them alone, they're happy the way they are. Don't do that because they'll die anyway. But no, he took the challenge. He wanted to do something. He was so skinny, they told him, Townsend, you'll never, you'll never amount to anything. Well, of course, Robbie was a strong guy, but here's a guy as skinny as he could be. You know, it really doesn't matter. Like I tell people, I've flown for 45 some years, 40, almost 40 years with Jars and Wycliffe. It really doesn't matter whether you're born in a hut, born in a mansion, or born in a stable. When God says, I want you, I want you, he brings you to himself. That's awesome, isn't it? That he were just ordinary people. You savages like me. I mean, God... But that's the creator God. He made all of us. So I was asking the Lord the question, Lord, what if, what if the translators didn't come to the Bhagat? What if they say we go to the southern part of the Philippines, finish the work down there? What if? But no, they knew the Isnak language because God knew there was a little boy born in a hut that would be here this weekend. Born in a hut right there in northern Philippines, orchestrated by his grace, his grace alone, his power was going to return full circle and I loaded these 500 copies in all in the Helio Courier. I was flying from Bagabag to the Bagat and we took off with my wife of 40 years. And the oldest son was just two years old, he's 37. And as we got closer to the Bagat, I could see the winding Abulog River coming up to my village. The missionaries traveled 25 years. I said, God, you could have allowed Satan to drown every one of those Wycliffe missionaries and they would never have sent anybody else to finish the work. But no, he protected them because he knew June, June 24, 1982 was made for me. I banked a Helio Courier on top of our international airport, 600 feet long, 60 feet wide. I could put it there because jars had trained me right. About 45 minutes hike to the next mountain, down to the next village is where I was born. Half a minute later, I was circling the little tiny village of Bayuhau, and down below I could see coconuts after coconuts after coconuts, and underneath the coconut grove, three little tiny huts, and I said, Lord, look at that third hut on the right. You formed me there in secret. Pluck me out of there to become used. You know the thought of knowing God can say, I want you, I want you, and I want you, and he brings you to himself and says, I'll make wonders for my glory, and that's what he exactly did with Townsend years ago with William Carey Hudson Taylor and all the missionaries that have gone on ahead. He touched their heart. I lined up for that approach I could miss and I touched down within 200 feet. I stopped at Helio. I taxied to the end. I turned around. I shut down. I got out. My wife got out. Stephen got out. And I went to the back seat of that airplane, picked up the first box, I placed it underground, and as I went for the second box, the Isnags come running up to the hilltop, but you know, they were all my relatives, so I ignored them. I picked up the second box, and I was about ready to put it beside the first one. I just placed it on the ground, and the woman picked it up, placed it on top of her head, moving to the side. I looked, and it was my oldest sister, Emma. I hollered, I said, hey, Manang, that means older sister. She turned around, she said, Adding, younger brother, what's up? And I said to her, hey, Manang, older sister, do you know what you're carrying? She said, it's just a box, I have to move it out of the way. And I said to her, hey, Manang, 
Those are New Testaments in our language. And I wished I had, at that moment I had a camera to capture the moment as he smiled, big, moving one leg and then the other, and grabbing hold of that box, lifting it with all her strength and bringing it down, and literally hugged it. And she said, are you serious? I'm going to have a copy of my very own New Testament in our language. And deep inside my heart, it was about ready to burst. And I said, oh, God, what if? What if they said no? And imagine for one moment, reading for the very first time God's word in your heart language, where it touches you to the deepest core of your being, where it is at the hapu, kebai panang, ya minyane dios kadayang amen tola itu nebone yasisangan ananatasanung amen de mangorok kagina, akanamasib nake dios, nudiatan biagda kawan pan. That's the power of John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's power. That's the power of the Word of God in the heart language. Let me ask you a very personal question. When was the last time you actually hugged your own Bible like my manang and say, wow, this is God's Word in my heart language? Do you ever do that? Well, let me challenge you one more time. I did this the other night. The New Testament, the Old Testament is going to be completed in two or three years in my heart language, and my prayer is that we would be able to print at least 10,000 copies for 100,000 isnags. If you want to be a part of that, they're just $10 a piece. Skip a hamburger, buy an isnag, the Bible is the theme that I have, so that I could print at least 10,000 copies of the whole Bible in, this, in my heart language. But 1,750 languages are coming down, but there's still people out there, and the next generation will have to finish the job. And here's a printout of all those languages on earth, represented by almost 400 million people are still waiting. Naripugya and the Isnag people have the New Testament, plus Genesis and Exodus. The Old Testament's almost done, but these are the people whom God sent his son Jesus Christ to the world to die for them. The heartbeat of God is his people, his creation. These are actually people. And perhaps this morning there's another Richard Rowe, there's another Cameron Thompson, there's another Grace, there's another Andrew, there's another Daniel. And there's a Sabrina in Portland, Oregon, that I'm praying that will take my place. Sabrina Reynard, I'm praying for her. Maybe some of you young people here, maybe some of you older people, or mature people, maybe you can go. Grace said Uncle Cam was 70 when he went to Russia. Is there any age? Just remember now, I'm not retired. I might be retarded, but I'm not retired. What is God calling you to do? What's your part in the puzzle? There's a hole without you there. You can pray, you can go, you can send, and you can pray some more for your missionaries, for all of us, for God to touch every one of us through His Holy Spirit. 
May God bless you here. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 15:58, he said, therefore, beloved brothers, he said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord you labor, you labor, you labor. It's not in vain in the Lord. And Father, to that end, we give you our praise this morning. Maybe this morning there's somebody that says, hey, I want to know about this. I want to know about it. Maybe God has spoken to you this weekend. Maybe you want to become a part of what he's doing around the world. If that's what your dream and that's your passion, God is your passion, maybe he wants you to get up out of your seat and say, hey, I want to be a part of that. Would you want to do that this morning? Or maybe you don't know him and say, hey, I want to give my heart to him. Maybe that's what God wants you to do. Just give all that you are to him. If you don't know him, you got to know him. So Father, to that end, I pray for this church. Thank you for Jerry and the leadership, the missions committee, and all the generosity of people here. Thank you for everyone. And I think of Sabrina this morning in Portland, Oregon. It's training to be a missionary pilot who knows what she's going to do. Thank you for the young people. Thank you for the next generation that will take our places for your kingdom. Because this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then you said you will come. So, Father, to that end, we give you our praise for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus Christ.